0: We're starting a summer series today on the life of Jacob, uh, and we'll begin here in just a minute to look at uh, Genesis chapter 25, verses 19 through 27, but before I read that, let me pray. Join me. Father, uh, as we have recognized today that it's Pentecost Sunday, uh, we recognize the fact that we uh, are in need, even at this moment, of your Spirit to uh, open our eyes and our ears and our hearts uh, to uh, the truth of your word. Uh, Lord, we pray that uh, um, your spirit would be at work in us today to give us the gift of faith uh, and to give us uh, the gift of um, responding in faith to the words we hear. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, Genesis 25, 19 to 27 uh Send a bulletin. Also up on the screens behind me. This is God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such. This morning, these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was forty years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, the older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. And afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents. Uh, A.J., you can put my notes up. So, One of the things that we have done in our family over the last few years is we're trying to figure out more of our genealogy, like where we come from. Uh, And um, one of the uh, resources that I've come across that's really helpful in this is a website. (laughs) I told Ann about this on Friday, and she was like, that that doesn't sound good to me, called (laughs) findagrave.com, which I'm like, is really helpful. Uh, and in fact, I, I showed her a picture of my grandfather, not just his grave, but there's a picture that was taken of him in 1914, I think, 1915, um, good-looking man, uh, and um, so one, one of the things, as, as we've done this, one of the things that I discovered is that, uh, so I have uh, a great-grandfather that my dad told me a little bit about uh, before my dad died, and he my dad did not like his his grandfather, my great-grandfather, and uh, he had a house full of kids like they all did, and uh, his wife died, and uh, he didn't want to hang around anymore, and so his younger kids came to live with my dad's family, and he took off, and he's buried, they're all from East Tennessee, way back in the hills, back in the hills and hollers, that's where they were all from, he's buried in a cemetery in Miami, Florida, I want to find out more about that guy, I think. Uh, what's his deal, <laughs> right? Uh, uh, I've, I've heard crazy stories about him from my dad that I think cannot be true. But, you know, now that I realize that he actually did die in Miami in 1945, there, there, maybe there's, there's, there's something to that. The reason why I wanted us to look at the life of Jacob uh, this uh, summer is a couple of reasons. Uh, the, the first uh, thing about it is we tend to read these stories in the Old Testament as stories about people that are kind of removed from us, people that are kind of distant from us. But the fact is, these stories are about you. These stories are about your family. Paul writes in Galatians 3.39, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs to the promise right? So we who uh, belong to Jesus Christ and Christ belongs to us, we are, uh, uh, we are Abraham's offspring. We are his kids, his great-grandkids, great-great-great-grandkids. And so this story that we're going to read about, uh, beginning here a little bit with Isaac and then uh, uh, focusing our attention on Jacob for the rest of the summer, is a story about our family, and so one of the things that you get about stories about families is that there are things that this family even though they they live in tents and they're out in the fields in ancient Canaan and we may think we're so far removed from them so many of the things that the people of God experienced then we experience now. In fact Uh, to be chosen by God, as this family was. Remember, God chose Abraham out of a a pagan uh, culture and city and called him to himself called him to another land and made all sorts of promises to him. The fact is that being God's people doesn't make us immune from the effects of living in a sinful world, and it doesn't even make us immune from uh, dealing with and struggling with and suffering with our own sin and the sin of others in our families. And so one of the things that we're going to see is we're going to see that they struggled with unfulfilled desires just as we struggle with unfulfilled desires for years. For years there's so much waiting in these stories as we read in this text this morning that that uh, uh, Isaac and Rebecca uh, that Isaac was 40 when he married Rebecca and that he was 60 when the twins are born 20 years 20 years so much waiting you know, we, as Emily was talking about the fruit of the Spirit, I thought, you know, kindness might be a hard one, but patience is the fruit of the Spirit that no one wants. Right? To have patience means you're waiting. And we don't do that very well, do we? Barrenness, infertility. Uh, one of the things you could make a case for that the theme of the Bible is a series of unexpected and unusual births that burst literally onto the scene in uh, the context of, 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 of women and, and men who are unable to have children. Struggle, so much struggle. Struggle inside Rebecca. I mean, it's such a great picture, you know, that these boys are wrestling in utero. And, and as one is born, the other one is grabbing his heel like, no, you're not. I'm getting out first. Pull him back, right? Conflict. We'll see so much conflict in this family. Nothing has changed over the millennia. Favoritism. Favoritism almost wrecks this family forever. And it happens generation after generation, generational sin. What happens in one set, uh, one group in the family seems to continue on. If left to their own devices, it is a despairing, discouraging, dispiriting tale. Next slide. But over all of this is the promise of God. Over all of this is the choice of God. Over all of this is the fact that God says, I will be a God to you and you will be my people. And those words brought to fruition in the lives of sinful, struggling, barren men and women Is the hope of the world and so as we look at this and as we as we see what happens here what we're going to see is as God came to Abraham very early in Abraham's life and called him out of uh, Ur of the Chaldees and said I am going to make you great I'm going to make you the father of many nations and he said as we've celebrated today what it has come to fruition is through you all nations will be blessed. So it wasn't just God's purpose just to get a small group of people together here and work with them and perfect them, but through Abraham and through this family, through Isaac, through Jacob, through the rest of them, God God was going to do his work of blessing the whole world. Now, certainly, we see that in, through this family, the line of Jesus Christ, we see God brings into the world His Son, the Savior of His people. As Matthew says, He will save His people from their sins, and that's certainly what Jesus did, but God's at work in this family to bring some uh, uh, fruition of His promise to Abraham even by the end of Genesis, because what we will see that by the end of Genesis, the descendants of Abraham... The descendant of Abraham, Joseph, is used by God to save the world from a famine. And so, God, it, 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 it was God's purpose to choose this group of people, this one family, and through them, through us, he would bless uh, the rest of the world. the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Now, the thing that is so profound about this is you hear this promise from God to Abraham, and so you think Abraham and Sarah are going to get busy producing children, right? (laughs) I mean, we have this sense that God says the world is literally going to swarm with your descendants, Abraham, and not only that, I'm going to give you Uh, this land as far as you can see it your people will live here forever and what we note is that by the end of Genesis there are about 400 descendants of Abraham uh, in the world they have to go to Egypt to survive and the only land that they own in the promised land is a cave that they use as a cemetery quite an interesting picture right of the way in which uh, God is is at work here. And so one of the things that we'll see and one of the things that God will apply to our hearts as we look at this is is the fact that as we wait and as we struggle and as we deal with, with unfulfilled desires, maybe infertility, waiting, strife, particularly in our families, One of the things that we'll note about that is, is that our hope in the midst of this and the thing that anchors us and the thing that gives us the ability to wait and the ability to trust and the ability ability to follow is that God is true to his word. That when God comes to Abraham and he makes a promise, though it may seem slow and it may seem like it takes a long time for God to fulfill his promise, we see we have the benefit that uh, uh, Jacob and Isaac didn't have to look back now and say, aha, there it is. There's the one who was promised. And we lean into the truth of the gospel that what Jesus really did, really, he really did it. And we really have redemption of sins and we have hope for resurrection life, right? Right? So let's draw a couple of conclusions out of this, uh, this text this morning that will, uh, that will, will uh, I think, uh, be very helpful. You know, one of the things that I've always thought when I get to heaven, I want to know why it is that there's such a buildup to Isaac in Genesis. I mean, you know, there's all these promises about him coming, about him coming, about him coming, and Abraham and Sarah get really old, and then finally he comes, and you're like, all this buildup, you think Isaac's going to be Superman, right? You think, you think he is just going to be this dynamic guy, and there's like three chapters about it. Now, almost the rest of the, of the book of Genesis, from here on out, has very, almost nothing to do with Isaac and everything to do with Jacob and his family. Well, there's something that we can know about this, Isaac, and I think it's something important that we need to, to, uh, to understand. The Scriptures tell us that Rebecca was barren, and we're told that Isaac prayed for his wife to conceive. He prayed for 20 years. He prayed for 20 years. Listen, uh, we need to stop right here, and I want to say to you, don't stop praying. For the unfulfilled desires of your heart, keep doing it. It is a crucible where God works. God changes us. God blesses us. God does things through the crucible of His people crying out to Him in powerlessness, asking Him to meet their need and to fulfill their promise. To fulfill His promise, He does things there that are uh, uh, that we would never expect greater things even, often than what we would ask for. And so we're told that, 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 that he prayed for his wife to conceive. You know, one of the things that when you read the Old Testament uh, and, and you hear about these families, you want to know a little bit about like what's going in there, right? If we were writing the script for this movie, you know, we would, we would want to have some romance in here, right? We would want to know what was their relationship like? What was their marriage like, right? Well, one of the things that stands out to me about Isaac and Rebekah is this, that Isaac and Rebekah married, that I, you know, Abraham actually sent for Rebekah from uh, uh, their, their country of, the, of origin and brought her back to Isaac after uh, um, Sarah, uh, uh, Isaac's mom died. And we read in, uh, in uh, Genesis 24, 67, then Isaac brought her into the tent, that is Rebekah, his mother, and took Rebekah and she became his wife and he loved her. He loved her. So maybe, maybe the point, you know, the fact that I want to know more about Isaac, that, that right there is what I need to know about him. Is that he loved his wife. And why did he love his wife? Well, she was a comfort to him after his mother's death. And you can only imagine, you know, Isaac being the only child, the apple of his mother's eye, that when she died, how bereft he was. And Rebecca blessed him. She was good to him. She was a comfort to him. And he loved her. So you can only imagine how that must have energized his prayers for her to see her crying month after month after month with no success in having any kind of children, add to that that they believed that they had heard the promise of God that he would make them into a great nation, and they waited. And they waited, and they wondered about the goodness of God. And in the midst of that wondering about the goodness of God, God forged a loving relationship. Now, we'll see later on in the story that uh, things go a little sideways with that loving relationship. But right here, right now, in this part of the story, we are told that he loved her. It's hard to find many stories of marriages in the Bible where it's that boldly put that uh, a couple were that committed and that loving towards one another. It's a powerful picture to us of how God is at work in this family. Next slide. So they pray for 20 years, and Rebecca gets pregnant. How many times in your life have you prayed for something over and over and over again, and then you get it, and you're horrified? And you're like, what just happened? Wait, I can't. I, I prayed. I wanted, I, wanted the, I, wanted to, I wanted to have babies, and now they're about to kill me. They're tearing me apart. They're wrestling inside of me. And in the midst of that, rather than to give in to her despair, she turns to God and is like, what are you doing? Help me understand this. And she receives from God this word that there are two nations in her and that, the, that one will serve the other. You see, one of the things that you have to see about this is, friends, that when we have these unfulfilled desires, we can't ever believe the, the lie or the, the thought that if I just get this desire fulfilled, I'll be in heaven. If God would just give me this one thing... Everything will be fine. Well, the fact of the matter is that as we li- as long as we live in this world, and even as we receive graciously and mercifully from the hand of God our desires to be fulfilled, we still live in a world affected by the curse. God had said, I will surely multiply your p- pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your sh- desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And one of the things that we see about this is, is the fact is it's not just uh, the gestational wrestling match that's going on here that makes her uncomfortable. As we will see, once these boys are born and they grow into men, the pain, the struggle will tempt Rebecca to take matters into her own hands and to do things she should never, ever have done and will cause her to sin against her husband and sin against her sons. And so here's the, here's the thing, you know, parents, I just want to say this word to you today, that the, the fact of the matter is uh, that the pain of rearing and loving children uh, is real. And it doesn't end, well, it doesn't end. When uh, we struggled with infertility for years, and when our oldest, Tate, was finally born, you know, we would... We, we were so amazed that we had this baby. We would go at night and look, stand over him as he was sleeping and just look at him. Because we were like, wow, there he is. And what do we do now? My mom and dad came up to visit us and to uh, meet their new grandson. And my mom was holding Tate. And she looked at me and she says, oh, you're never going to get a good night's sleep the rest of your life. And I said, wait. In a year, he'll be sleeping through the night. And she's like, that is not what I'm talking about. (laughs) And yet, the long and winding road of redemption, of God's faithfulness to his promise, winds through this family. Because over all of this struggle, over all of this failure, over all of this sin and death, The promise, the determination of God to be a God to his people and to make those people his own wins. God is faithful even when we are not. God is good even when we are not. And what we see and what we celebrate today as we come to the Lord's table is the reality that these people longed for and looked for God to bring to fruition. We don't look forward so much as we look back remembering the fact that God kept His promise. Our faith, our confidence should be so much greater, right? Because the fact is, as these Old Testament saints testify, they heard the promise of God, they waited for the promise of God, and Jesus came. We look back we know the truth of that and we celebrate together as we come to the table the reality that our savior has come hear these words of institution then came the day of unleavened bread on which the passover lamb had to be sacrificed jesus sent peter and john saying go and make preparations for us to eat the passover when the hour came jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink it again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. Let's confess our sins together by using this uh, confession printed in the bulletin up on the screens behind me. Pray with me. Almighty God, who sent the promised power of the Holy Spirit, to fill disciples with willing faith, we confess that we resist the force of your Spirit among us, that we are slow to serve you and reluctant to spread the good news of your love. God, have mercy on us. Forgive our divisions, and by your Spirit draw us together. Inflame us with a desire to do your will and your faithful people for the sake of your Son. Our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Brothers and sisters, hear these words of encouragement. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and he broke it, just as I do now, ministering in his name, and he gave it to his disciples. As we read in the words of institution, the disciples uh, went to uh, get the Passover lamb to sacrifice it. And Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, go make uh, preparations for the Passover. We know that the Lord's Supper replaces the Old Testament feast of the Passover, Passover had to be celebrated every year. Just as the Day of Atonement had to be celebrated every year, the sacrifices had to be offered over and over and over and over again to teach the people and to train them to anticipate the ultimate Lamb of God who would come and be slain once for all for his people. Friends, you have the assurance today that God keeps his promise, and his promise to you is this that Jesus Christ will save his people from their sins. If you have turned in faith to Jesus Christ, if you have turned to him and sought his righteousness, his work, his forgiveness for your sins, then we have the promise of God, and God is not a liar, uh, that you are cleansed, And free today from the guilt of your sin. That is the good news that God has kept his promise in Jesus Christ. And that promise resonates in and through and for us even today. If you've made a profession of faith, if you have proclaimed to a body of believers somewhere that Jesus Christ is your Savior, that you have trusted him and his work uh, to atone for and forgive your sins, uh, then He welcomes you today. He says, "Come, taste and see. Come, be renewed. Come. You have you're a part of the family. You're a part of His family. He has set a place at His table for you, and He spreads before you uh, uh, the the work that He has done on your behalf." Uh, as the elders come down front to assist me, let me remind you this morning that the outer rings uh, have wine, uh, the inner rings uh, have grape juice. What you'll notice is there are two cups, a cup with either grape juice or wine, uh, and underneath that cup is a wafer of uh, gluten-free bread. Uh, as you come forward, you um, uh, and you pick this up, take it, bring it back to your seats, uh, hold it until everyone has been served, and we will eat together. If you are uncomfortable uh, coming to take from one of the elders, the table over here will be uh, 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 open for you. If you are unable to come forward uh, and would like to be served, raise your hands, and we will see to it uh, that you uh, get served.